two out of three Americans hate their job. Not modestly dislike, not, oh, I can't wait till hump day's over or I need some more time off. Hate at our very, very best. What do we do as a team that's common to us, but uncommon to other teams we see around us? Top leaders, meaningful conversation, actionable advice, bulldoze complacency, ignite inspiration, create impact. Produced by Southwestern Family of Companies. This is the Action Catalyst. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. My guest that we have for you today, I'm super excited about William Vanderblumen. His company, Vanderblumen Search Group, wins all these crazy awards. They were like number 23 best search firm uh, in the country, number three best, uh, third best place to work in Houston. He writes for Forbes, uh, has a weekly column there. He's got a couple books that are out. He's also got uh, degrees from Wake Forest, a Princeton from Theological Seminary. I mean, just a total awesome guy, mover and shaker. And his new book is called Culture Wins. The Roadmap to an Irresistible Workplace. So, William, welcome to the show. Wow. that I hope people don't believe everything you just said. That was awesome. <laughs> Great to be with you, man. Yeah. So, in terms of creating an irresistible workplace, why do people leave? Like, if you have to boil it down, what causes people to leave? Sure, sure. Well, so we did a whole lot of research for this uh, book. We, did, we took time to say, hey... Uh, we've won a lot of awards for a great place to work. And uh, that led people to say, can you write about this? Forbes asked us to write about this. And then we said, uh, well, we can tell our story about how we built a culture. We actually had to reverse engineer it. We were like, how did we do that? So we, we stepped back and we said, I guess we did this and this and this. And we sort of intuitively fell into what we've got. But we said, you know, what other books are out there? But let's not just tell our story. Let's get up underneath the hood of all the great cultures we can find. So I took a stack of magazines that were award-winning lists of award-winning companies for culture, handed them to a young employee at our firm and said, go find the email addresses of all these CEOs and get me at least 100 phone appointments so that we can sure. study. And, and they did. And what we uncovered were some best practices. So getting back to your question, what we also uncovered there are lots of studies on the internet, which are all true if they're on the internet, right? And the baseline, like the most common answer to how many people in America like their job, the, the most common answer is two out of three Americans hate their job. Not modestly dislike, not, oh, I can't wait till hump day's over or I need some more time off, hate their job. It's sort of like, what in the world is causing that? And, and we found a few common answers. First of all, People don't leave jobs. They leave managers. Turnover is usually a problem with management and not a problem with we don't have enough ping pong tables or whatever the thing is for culture. Uh, the second thing we found was people leave their job because they don't know what their job is. Uh, if, if People say, I don't know what I'm supposed to get done. And, and then the third thing we found is people leave their jobs because once they do know what they're supposed to get done, they aren't equipped with the tools or resources to actually go get it done. So, you know, people sit around like, I don't know what success is. And then if it finally gets defined, I can't get there. And I don't like my manager. So I hate my job. Now, a fourth reason you're, you're, uh, I think, still a millennial. And what I'm learning about millennials, because I'm not one, is if there's no why behind the what, I'm out. 
Mm-hmm. There's got to be a cause behind the what we're doing. You know, the Simon Sinek talk that's been seen 18 bajillion times now, like sure. start with why. That whole why behind the what is a big deal. And I think while that's the fourth place answer right now, I bet in 10 years it's number one because that millennial generation is starting to dominate the workforce just by sheer numbers. So you, I think you're going to see an even bigger shift. So the answer to your question is people leave managers, not jobs. But I think within 10 years, it's going to be people will leave if you don't have a cause for what you're doing. Are people job hopping more? Totally. And not just job hopping, career hopping. And you're talking about a generation and you can blame me and say those millennials. uh, Or you can drop back and say, well, why is that? So, you know, the generation before where you do 35 years at Ford and you retire with the gold watch and all that, that's the generation that grew up with radio. And then by later in their career, they had three TV stations to choose from. Now, think about your life. Think about somebody 10 years younger than their life. You know, when I talk to older groups, I, I often say, I'm old enough, I'm mid 40s, that for me, my favorite part of the week when I was a kid was Saturday morning. And the younger part of the room looks at me like, what in the world are you talking about? And the older part of the room just nods. And I say, do you know why? And all the older people say, the cartoons were on, right? You look at a millennial and say, when are the cartoons on? They're like, what are you talking about? I just watch what I want. I get it on demand. I watch it on YouTube. I watch it where. So you've got a generation that's grown up in a world of infinite options. So why wouldn't they see their career as a span of years full of infinite options? It's Mm -hmm. just natural. So I think you will see not just job hopping, but career hopping. And that's where I found, you know, as we studied what makes a great culture and who's sinking money into it and why are they spending money on it? When I interviewed CEOs, I got a lot of different answers about why I spend money on culture. But the number one answer that every one of them answered was retention. The money I spend on culture always pays for itself because people stay longer than they would have otherwise. Maybe that means they stay eight years instead of four, not 35 with a gold watch. But but when you start running the numbers of what it costs to replace people and the momentum that's lost, retention is the ball game for the future of the American workplace. What are some of the numbers? Like, what's the cost? Well, I, you, I mean, you can justify anything you want. You can find a study on the Internet that will give you any number you want. But But we try to read a whole lot and then boil it down to a transferable principle. And what, what we found is just for round numbers sake, a hundred thousand dollar employee, which is a high level employee, sure. if they leave and we'll not, we'll not even factor in, is it a good leave or a bad leave? Is it a you hundred thousand dollar employee leaving will probably cost you a quarter million dollars. And that's wow. hard and soft costs all wrapped together. And so it's, and it's going to happen. I mean, turnover happens and turnover isn't always bad. You're in a fast growing organization. You've probably got people that were great when you had 40 employees, but when we got to 100, they couldn't they couldn't hang, and that's not their fault, different. but it's just different. It's a different company. But if you can mitigate the amount and frequency of turnover, especially unnecessary turnover, then your ROI goes up. I, I talked to one CEO of a software company. Uh, he's up in New York City, and they have a very particular software solution that they sell. There's three companies that all sell the same type of solution, right? And all three of them sell it at the same price. They sell to the same market. There's no product differentiation. And and he's a $20 million company. And he said last year he spent roughly $2 million on culture. I'm like, what? Why in the world? He said, well, because my EBITDA was 60 some percent higher than his competitors. 
I said, what do you mean your earnings is is better than your competitor? You got the same price point, same solution. Same. Did you do more sales? Nope. Same revenue. He said, in our industry, we're notorious for churning through people. The average churn rate is about 38%. And I've got my churn rate down to one and a half percent. So if you think, he said, I've got 200 people, 38% means 76 people would leave me normally every year. And my other two competitors, they lose 76 people every year. What are you going to charge me, William, to do 76 searches? What have I got to do to train 76 new employees? How much momentum do I lose and morale that drops when these people are walking out the door? I spend $2 million. People love working here. I fly my whole team to a big retreat. I spend money on things my competitors don't. My people stay And the fact that they stay makes us more profitable, even though we're not charging one penny more and not selling one widget more. So what really makes them stay? I mean, is it just the inverse of why they leave? Is that why they stay? I I, I think a lot of it is the inverse. You get people who actually want to be at work. I think when you you say, you know, the culture doesn't belong to a corporate entity, it belongs to a, a person. The companies that I studied that got serious about defining what their cultural values were started hiring around those cultural values so that, and and I put it this way, you know, everybody's crazy. And if you haven't figured that out, then, you know, you will. So it's not finding people who aren't crazy to work for you. It's finding people who are the same kind of crazy as you. And when you start hiring where you've got a tribe of people that are similar, well, then, yeah, you're going to have personality clashes because people are broken and that's just the way the world is. But at least you're in the same tribe and, and the manager is not insufferable. So frankly, most cultural problems are really a hiring problem. And I, I think that companies that have gotten it right, the ones that have gotten it right, frankly, are mostly newer companies because they've been able to build from the ground up. You know, a company two, three, you know, generations deep or a couple hundred years old, the culture is pretty hard to turn on a dime. And if you've got sure. a real problem, it, it, it takes a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, but the other the other interesting thing about why people stay, you talk about millennials job hopping. Uh, Barna, you know this group, they're a polling and surveying group, pretty well known. And, and they asked a question of people born in different decades. And here's the question. Pretend you're a young adult, 22 years old. What do you want to have accomplished by the time you're 35? Great question, right? So every group that answered except millennials had almost identical the same top five answers. Here's what they wanted to get done. They wanted to, by the time they're 35, they want to get married, start a family, own a home, be on a secure job track, and have some financial peace. Millennials, of those top five answers, how many of them hit their top five? Just one, financial peace. So what does that mean for the workplace and for culture? What that means is you're hiring people who probably aren't near their family, probably don't have a family to go home to, probably haven't locked into a career yet and probably see their workplace as the closest thing they're going to have to a family. And so if you find a workplace that's just frankly hell-bent on building a culture where that family can feel like they're more connected than just their work and connected through a cause and connected through a cultural code, well, then people are going to stay and they'll put up with highs and lows economically a lot better. And they'll put up with rising health care costs and all those things a lot better if they, this is my family. I don't have a wife and kids to go, this is it. And it's a cause I believe in and, and a well-defined culture. And the people here are somewhat like me in terms of belief and how we function. And uh, I, the companies that I studied that got that right have very few turnover issues. 
So getting into the practical, how do we actually keep people? How do we you know, create retention? I think it all depends on uh, what's the old advice. Uh, I forget which Greek philosopher it was. That his, his best advice was know yourself. And I think if a company will take time to drop back and know themselves and then build all those bells and whistles around that, uh, then that, that will make a difference. And here, so I'm guessing that a lot of your listeners have businesses that already have what they call core values, but are they cultural values? And when you say cultural, uh, you know, you think, uh, what, what is a culture and lots of definitions, definitions are out there, but it's the traditions and symbols and behaviors that are passed along from one generation to the next without thinking about it. And, and if a company can, can get a hold of those customs and traditions and behaviors, and what is it that, that we do that's good and then build the ping pong table and the vending machine and the yoga instructor, all that around that. Well, then that is a win. And, and here's a really practical question to ask. If, if you're saying we do have core values, but they're not cultural values. They don't describe how we behave. They don't describe our customs. They just say things like excellence. I, I'm so tired of excellence being a core value. I want to find a company that says, you know, mediocrity is really what we're after. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but like, a cultural value is more how do we behave? It's the how we get our work done. And, and the question that a company can ask all of its employees to start the conversation is this. You can say, look, when we are functioning at our very, very best, what do we do as a team that's common to us but uncommon to other teams we see around us? Because there's some quirkiness mm-hmm. that you guys share when you're at your best. For us, it's like responding with almost dysfunctional speed. Like, don't you have a life? Why are you getting back to me so fast? Don't you, don't you have a fa- That's That's our deal. And it's been a signature for us. And we didn't even realize it. We went through this exercise. When we're functioning at our best, what do we do as a team that's common to us, that's uncommon to others? And, and long story short, through the process of building cultural values, we named it as ridiculous responsiveness. That's our deal. And, uh, you know, we interview for it. We, we do sneaky bad stuff during interviews to see if somebody's got the same dysfunction we do, if they're really ridiculously responsive. If they are, they're going to fit. If they're not, they're probably a great employee for somebody else. Hmm. Yeah. Before we go, where should people go if, if they want to kind of learn about Culture Wins and where would you point people? You can go to culturewins.org and find the book there. Uh, if you're really interested in other things about us, you can go to vanderblumen.com and it, it just spell it just like that, Vanderblumen. Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's it, clear and obvious and easy to spell, and, and there's a lot of vowels. Well, you know what? We uh, bought probably 300 domain names when we started, and we hired an SEO consultant and said, which one of these? I don't want to name it after me. I don't need my name on a door. And he came back and he said, I got good news and bad news. I got the great website for you. You're not going to like it. It's the bad news. He said, we need to use your last name. Your last name is so screwed up that you can misspell it 200 different ways into Google and it'll feed back to you. So we just went with that. So misspell it however you want. Vanderblumen, you'll you'll find your way there or culturewins.org. Smart. All right, William. So what's the first thing that we first step? Do? The first yeah. step. That's a great question. We tried to answer that while we were writing the book. Uh, there, there are really two layers to culture. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, is this a healthy place to work? If it's toxic, that's a whole different conversation than defining values. So to help people know, are we functioning well? 
we did some research and we found eight key areas of health or toxicity, and we built an online assessment. So if people go to theculturetool.com, they'll find a free online assessment. They can have their whole team take the test. We'll send you back a report that shows you how you measure up, what's your median score, where you need to work, what's better, what's worse, and how do you measure up against all the other businesses that have come and taken this test. So that's theculturetool.com. I love it. Thank you for sharing this. This is an interesting perspective to have from somebody who has a full-time living of talking to people that are coming and going in and out of, of companies. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you having me on. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening.